Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. You know that Golden makes the best acrylic paint, but did you also know they make Williamsburg oils and core watercolors and mediums and airbrush paints and slow drying acrylics and gesso and black gesso and much, much more? You can find out more about Golden and all the amazing art supplies they make at goldenpaints.com. Heidi Hahn is a painter who grew up in Los Angeles and lives and works in Brooklyn. Heidi received her BFA from Cooper Union in 2006 and her MFA from Yale University in 2014. She's been awarded residencies at the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture, the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, and the Headland Center for the Arts, amongst others. Solo exhibitions include The Future is Elsewhere at Jack Hanley Gallery, Bent Idol at Jack Hanley Gallery, and Shadows from Other Places at Premier Regard, Paris. She's also participated in several group exhibitions, including Engender at Cone Gallery in Los Angeles, 30th Anniversary Exhibition, Part 2 at Jack Hanley Gallery, The Edge of Doom at Hilda, in Los Angeles, Human Condition at John Wolfe in Los Angeles, amongst many more. She has two upcoming shows, Why Must We, a two-person show with Vera Ilitova, opening at Manya Row on January 10th, and Burnout in Shredded Heaven, opening April 6th at Cone Gallery in Los Angeles. Heidi Studio is only a three-minute walk from mine, so we got together and we had a talk about her deep connection with painting, likes and dislikes, visiting the morgue, and even a little Weezer. Here's our conversation. It's almost like unconscious feeling mm-hmm. of stress, of like I have to perform or I'm always being watched. I would hate that. You didn't have that? No, I, I, not at all. I mean, my dad was a, a narcotics officer. What? Like detective. <laughs> yeah. So Wait, isn't that stressful? <laughs> yeah, that... Well, he was, he, when I was growing up, he did undercover and then he did, um, he was gone and he was always very invested in his job, but I remember. So he wasn't around much? Well, he, you know what? It's funny. I remember spending a lot of time with him. Yeah. Like on the weekends we would, you know, just drive around in his, um, undercover car, you know, <laughs> he had one of those, like, I don't even know what you call them, but, uh. Like an unmarked car? An unmarked car. Yeah. But I remember like when we were getting old enough he would like show us um, drug samples. Like he'd take us into his work and be like, stay away from this. If you see it, run away. If you see this substance, run away and tell someone. And so it was like, okay. Or he would take, we would go visit like the jail that he was working at um, sometimes, like just to go visit him and have lunch. Just to learn you on what to stay away from. <laughs> yeah. It scared <laughs> us straight. Is, oh, did like, it? I was going to say, did it work? Well, we. Or did you go through a phase of. Um, no, we never, uh, you stayed away. I stayed away. We were like good kids. Like he had three daughters and we were kind of just like, I kept to myself and my two sisters were in cheerleading and, um, no, we were good kids. We were too afraid to even like, if we had done any drugs, my, my mom would always threaten to take us to get urine samples. And so we were never going to go there at all. (laughs) 
we were too scared of well, her. Because <laughs> when you're a kid, like, word, you know, words have weight. Did they mm-hmm. mention it, like, once? Or did they, was this a mantra of where they're like, stay away from drugs, don't do drugs? Yeah, or we... I mean, he would, um, like, bust meth labs and stuff like that. And he would just tell us the saddest stories or... Man, he shared that stuff? How old oh, were yeah. you? Oh, um, yeah. God, I was in middle school oh my um, goodness <laughs> and then i remember he took a group of my girlfriends and i to the morgue for the first time and he, we got a lot of phone calls from parents that night because they're like what are you doing taking these 14 year old girls to the morgue i can imagine <laughs> yeah yeah he's probably like teaching them what to stay away you wouldn't yeah imagine what i see every day and i'm just trying to keep them away from this sort of thing yeah like when you're you're up against all that darkness all the time. Like you need a kind of outlet or you need to make it funny. Like he would tell funny jokes like yeah. about, oh yeah, we found a dead body and they were rotting for like weeks and weeks. And I tapped the corpse with my foot and his flesh just came off on my shoe and I had to go wash, wash it out, you know, outside <laughs> with the hose. Jesus. You know, like he would make that a joke, but it would be like, when you really think about it, you're like, well, that's really sad. <laughs> that's yeah. really disgusting, you know? So do, now, do you feel like that's inhabited your psyche in some way as a, a grown up? Well, like having a dark sense of humor. Yeah. Or you have being a dark like, sense of humor. yeah, if things get really tough or I feel like on the, I feel misery coming on or I feel like, oh, this situation is really depressing me. Like I try to make light of it or I try to find a joke. Like I really like humor. Like yeah. I watch a lot of stand up comedy or, or anything that kind of would make me laugh you know i right. gravitate towards now i don't want to project but yeah. a lot of the figures in your work <laughs> yeah seem like they have a heavy existence yeah. maybe that's palette yeah. maybe it's the way you paint them but they're there's sometimes they're a feeling of yeah. of oh you know there there is because it, they're also really banal in a way because they're so kind of plain and they're all kind of the same they're all kind of wearing the same clothes the same hair I mean they're almost like an avatar for for me or my experience or people I know and I feel like most of the time when you catch someone unaware and you just look over at them most people are not just upright and smiling they're weighted down by either their life experience or by stuff they have to do Um, especially becoming, you know, more of an adult every year, there's just so much to contend with or so much to maintain that you never had to when you were younger. So I think the women in the paintings are, you know, they're wrapped up in some psychological kind of negotiation of like, who am I in the world? Yeah. And when you start thinking that way, it just becomes really painful. You it's know, because most of the time weight, you don't right? matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. Like there's a, you know, I'm a bit of a nihilist in that way where it's like, oh, nothing matters and I don't matter. And my surroundings, I don't feel like I exist in them, which is a lot, you know, which yeah. is a lot. But and also they're just paintings, too. And that that's terrifying. Like you're trying to imbue like materials with emotion it's like how do you do that it's not like an actor like when you're watching a movie like I can cry like I'll cry all the time watching movies um I don't know if paintings have that same kind of capability right but you know I try to hint at that like I try to hint at a bigger emotional state than I think the materials allow sometimes well part of it too is that it's frozen yes right because 
you wouldn't necessarily cry as much to film stills. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. But it's the emotive display that's kind of like um, yeah. really channeling into your psyche in a way. Whereas the, yeah. the, the still image is more mm-hmm. pensive. You can kind of freeze mm-hmm. it and then contemplate what that means. And it's, it's yeah. kind of like a different interpretation. Well, there's a big distance to it. Because, yeah. yeah, you're right. There's the lack of movement. You're not really engaged in the same way because it's it just becomes this surface right and you're interacting with a stagnant surface and i don't think you can cry over that unless you're looking at a frozen river but again you're contemplating your own psyche and then maybe you would start to cry because it's so beautiful (laughs) yeah so well you so you grew up in los angeles which is a very sunny yes in a suburb right place yeah in a suburb outside of it and um uh, and I went to a high school in downtown Los Angeles in East LA. Man, what was what was that like? It was really interesting. A big school? I would have just imagined it's big. It was a big. It was on Cal State campus, which yeah. is a college campus. And you know, I grew up again in the suburbs where there wasn't artful thinking. Like there was not yeah. culture. We ne- in my own house, we never. We would only go to the Natural History Museum or the morgue. Or the morgue, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, which is a great education. Right. I mean, you know, I'm sure Rembrandt, you know, he would draw from dead bodies right. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a big school and it was a change. Like I asked my my mother to go to this school and I had to take a train um, like at six in the morning to get in um, to get in at times uh, at the right time. Anyway, uh, it was really interesting because it was so different from how I was brought up where you have very you have very smart kids that grew up with art either you know because there was um, a music department um, the acting department and you know then the painters which were you know painters are always on the outskirts right Um, and so these are kids that could name names of artists and I was like what I don't understand I understood it inherently but at the same time it was really uh, difficult to navigate that because I always felt like I was behind. I always yeah. had a, a chip on my shoulder because I didn't have the same access to culture that these kids did. So in the beginning, it was really hard. Like I just kept myself and I felt like, God, I don't know anything. What did you lose yourself in? Um, just painting. Like Were you in the music too? No. no I, I like classical music, but no, never. I, I love to read. That's my big passion. I love yeah. to read. So I was always just reading alone during lunch break and then going into my studio. And, you know, we had these great um, working artists that were teaching high schoolers. You know, I still remember uh, I had a professor uh, or teacher. I don't know if they were a professor, but Steve Hurd, mm-hmm. who, you know, would make these big uh, women's wear daily drip paintings, like the covers of women's right. wear daily in their drips. And I remember he would always come up to me when I was making a painting and um, he would always wear sunglasses to class, which was amazing. That's so cool. He was very cool. <laughs> and he looked like a Van Halen. I, I don't know. He had long hair, but he would come up and be like, you know what? This painting needs more drips. And I was like, <laughs> I took it as like, oh, more spontaneity, more right. like looseness, looseness. Yeah. yeah. yeah because more rock and roll. More rock and roll, yeah, yeah. But I, the dark, the glasses were so dark that I wondered if he was even looking at the painting. But you know, when you're a kid and you're starting out with the idea of making art, it feels like you're very locked into the idea of it. Yeah. So you're not that experimental. You're very careful. You're very afraid. Like for me, 
to harness these materials in a way that I like into a vision, it was so hard. It's yeah. still hard, you know, cause you're building up this whole world and like, what does that even look like if it, it's never existed before? Right. And that's terrifying to me, like to contend with even now and back then, definitely. Were you um, looking at work back then? Um, like when you, so this was kind of like an arts school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we would go to like the Geffen or we go to, um, the Mocha and we would, I remember one of, um, first shows I went to, uh, there was a Felix Gonzalez Torres piece of the candy in the corner. And so my teacher went up and took a piece of candy and I was shocked. I was like, Oh my God, you can't touch this. This isn't a museum. (laughs) Like that was my idea of like, you know, these rules that you grow up with. So I was looking at a lot of, um, installation artists Mm -hmm. like there. I don't, like our Francis Bacon, like these classical people that, you know, are so recognizable. Um, or de Kooning or um, uh, there was some John Curran I remember being introduced to. Yeah. What um, years are we talking about? Oh, God. This was like. Sorry to throw 19, that on you. <laughs> 1999, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So, and again, like I had to just get on the train and come right back from school. So I didn't really hang out after school. I didn't, um, I couldn't go out on my own. I never learned to drive, so I never had that kind of freedom. Yeah. Like, I would literally take the train there, go to school, get off at 3, run to the train at 3.30, and then my parents would pick me up um, and take me back home. Right. And so, and there wasn't a, a place to paint at home, so it was all confined to this, you know, the school atmosphere. Went, it happened there, basically. It happened there, yeah. yeah. Well, that, around that time, we're talking... You know, Jason Meadows, Laura Owens. Oh, yeah. Kevin Appel, um, you know, yeah. Liz Craft. A lot of yeah. those artists were kind of really, because that spin article came out in 99, I think. I didn't know anything about this, though. Like, even at the school I was at, it was mostly like, oh, you just make, you do. Yeah. And I don't remember a lot of seeing or investigation into my own. It was just kind of like formulating your stuff, right? Like what's yeah. going on at the school. Or it was like, you know, taking an art history class where we're talking about Renaissance painting. Right. Um, you know. I just wondered if that installation art thing that was going on there. Yeah. That's, well, I guess you were kind of not really engaged in that yet. No, because I, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Like, you know, as a kid back in the day, we weren't really connected in the way we are now. Like, I didn't have a computer until, How <laughs> I, I, until like, you know, 2001 or something. <laughs> it's crazy, right? How yeah. fast that's changed. Oh, I know. Now you can, you know, uh, being a professor at Alfred, I tell my students, I give them a list of artists with links and they can just look it up. Right. And it's like immediate. The only know? risk of that is the three second Google familiarity with an artist. Exactly. Where they look at it for like one second. They're like, okay, I get it. Next. I know. And, and I tell them like, if you can see something in person and I... Personally, I try to make a pilgrimage to things where I'm like, ooh, I want to see this painting in person. Yeah. And uh, luckily, like, I sometimes have the agency to do that. Like, yeah. I'm able to be like, um, oh, I want to go, I'm going to go to Paris and I'm going to go see this great show. Or, like, I got to see the Mar- Mike Kelly show at, um, at the Pompidou and at PS1, mm-hmm. MoMA. And, well, Mike Kelly was also a big influence, like, growing up because everybody loved him. He was like, you know, he was there. He was like in LA. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing him work and being like, he does all this stuff. Right. <laughs> like it was mind blowing. Yeah. 
Um, and Sonic Youth record covers? I Well, I didn't even know who Sonic Youth was. Like, I think I listened to the Smashing Pumpkins. That's like, fair. Yeah. Well, I was also gothic when I was younger, too. Oh, yeah? And I don't think I've ever grown out of that. I mean, clothing-wise, yes, I've had to. Yeah. Um, but I... I still think once you're a gothic kid, you're always a gothic, like you're going to be a gothic adult, right, <laughs> which right. means like moody. And, um, you know, I had gargoyles in my room. Like I'd wear like a black cape to school. Like, And wh- where did that come from other than the morgue visits? Uh, I think I just identified with the mood, the general like mood of, yeah, the yeah. dark mood of like being angry or kind of being romantic, but in a way where, I didn't have any sense of a romantic life. Yeah. Like it was all through literature. Like I yeah, would yeah. read the, you Escapism, know. right? Yeah. Like I would read the Bronte sisters or, um, you know, I was eating, reading like Henry James and like, uh, you know, Jude the Obscure was one of my favorite books growing up. And that's really dark. Yeah. But it's also really romanticized literature. Right. It's so not like you, Catcher in the Rye where it's, yeah. it's not really romanticized, but it's dark. It's kind of like reality dark or something. Yeah. Or it's just so over the top about women always being persecuted. Yeah. You know, um, especially like, yeah, in Jude the Obscure, like Anna Karenina or something where it, there's always these big consequences to these little actions that these women are just basically having an interior life and they're punished for it. Or like Madame Bovary is a really good example. And I love those books because I, I don't know why I identified with them. Um, I, I'm still interested in those stories about women, you know, even though back when I was reading all this stuff, it was through um, a man's perspective, but that was giving me entree into something bigger than myself at that age that I couldn't have, anywhere any anywhere else in my life right yeah so well you go through that art school was that k to 12 or was that like that, a, oh that, that was, was just, just middle like, school that was like high school so after, so what did you think like i gotta get out of here or did you or was it you know like what yeah. was the feeling about because usually when you graduate high school there's either like a you get out of there or you, you've got like some big idea well i always wanted to get away from my home and you know I had a a interesting childhood like really again I was mentioning earlier my parents are supportive in the way where they're very hands-off they're like you get the life you make not Mm -hmm. that what we make for you so good luck with everything and bye (laughs) you know I think when I went off to I went actually to San Francisco for god maybe one semester Mm -hmm. at the art institute and um I remember them dropping me off and they got me a case of um, ramen and they were like, good luck. That's all you need. (laughs) That's all you need. And I was like, oh, I got to get a job. And so I was up there and I did not care for San Francisco. It was just not my kind of place. And I felt like I was um, waitressing full time. It was just very hard. And there wasn't an environment that was conducive to being a painter at that time for me. So I was like, Oh, screw this. I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to move to new Orleans. I don't, I love new Orleans and I like the idea of it. So I tried going down there. I was there for four days and I'm like, what am I doing here? Like I need an education. <laughs> four like, days. Wow. I was four days and I brought my little paint kit and I was like, I'm not going to live here. So then I went up to New York and, um, you know, I applied to Cooper union yeah. and my future, ex-husband was there and he 
like Cooper had this aura about it where it was very rigorous. And yeah. I was like, oh, I want to be where the rigor is. Like, I want to be part of that. And so um, I applied and they sent me a rejection letter. And then like when school was about to start, they called me and they're like, where are you? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> they're like, you're supposed to be here. I'm like, you guys sent me a rejection mm-hmm. letter. And they're like, no, you're, you're here. You're enrolled. We were just kidding. I know. I was just like, what? That's confusing. Yeah. And that's Cooper is kind of like a do it yourself school. Or at but least wait, back were then, you accepted? Or were you... I was accepted, but they had sent me the wrong letter and they're like, no, oh, that I was, see. that was totally wrong. The office is like crazy over here. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know that? <laughs> so it... silly, you're accepted. You should have known that. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. But that's a weird way to start a program where you feel like, again, do I belong here? Right. And I, I always had that sense like Cooper was definitely um, a boys club when I was in school there. Like I didn't really have any um, female professors even. Like we had Nikki Logis who was teaching drawing and she's like hardcore. Um, she would smoke in class. and uh, That's impressive. Yeah, it was that great. that was even able to have. <laughs> I know. I know now it's like with OSHA and everything. Um Yeah, so it was an interesting time because I always felt like I had to fight for what I wanted to do. Like, I was making paintings. Like, I was making figurative paintings. And I remember... At Cooper. At Cooper, yeah. (laughs) And it was a time where it's like, you know, the Bruce High Quality guys were there. And it catered to these grand gestures. And I'm a very quiet kind of painter. Like, very intimate with my subject matter and not they're not showy um and i remember talking about like my feminist inclinations to like um uh, robert bordeaux and he's like well then you should just make feminist work you should just you know paint these things that just talk about feminism and i'm I'm like i don't want to just talk about that though that's not like when people just try to boil down yeah you should just do this then i know like here let me allow you to just be narrowed down to this one thing you should do exactly and i did i I didn't know how to get that specific even if i had wanted to yeah you know because i was trying a lot of uh different stuff and that school is a very competitive place and i think it was interesting for me to be there because again i had to fight for what I wanted to do, and I think that's really important. It is, yeah. If you didn't have to do that then, or if you didn't have to explain yourself, I think that's a really bad thing in art. Like, yeah. I think you should always have to justify what you're doing. And I, it's never a given, and I don't, even today, like, I, I don't think there is a stability in my work. Like, I'm always like, oh, what genre do I want to work in? Like, what am I interested in? I'm like oh, I like this 19th century kind of, you know, um, plein air kind of painting. But then I have to kind of bend it to my will because I'm like, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) So how do I learn how to do it? So um, it was a very hard place to be. But good, like challenging. But challenging, yes, That's what you wanted, right? You want to go somewhere with rigor. Yes. Maybe not that much challenge, but... (laughs) Well, you know, it's like we would have crits and, you know people would just take other pieces off the wall and be like this is shit and they'd throw it on the ground and jump on it like nothing was sacred there like you could say something is a piece of shit yeah and you know we're kind of like still teenagers we have that mentality you know so we're all awkward um you suck i'm good that sort of thing yeah yeah our animosity to it but there was energy in that like i still find energy in the 
things I hate more than the things I love. Right. Like that's what feeds me. If I'm really angry, I'm, I'm able to, I feel like be more intellectual, be more engaged or, um, I don't know, push myself forward through the hatred of things, yeah. <laughs> which sounds horrible, but it's No, I think that's not. very common. I mean, yeah. I think when, and part of that is, I think when you're mm-hmm. up and coming, you get that mm-hmm. kind of competitive nature in you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think just recently, well, I don't know how recent, but I feel like recently mm-hmm. in my life, I've become much more of like, I flipped. Yeah. Where I became more of like finding the joy in everything. Yeah. Something. You know what I mean? Like the fuel oh, yeah. in, but it's just... It's, it's a way to keep yourself motivated one way or the other. Whether you're like, yeah. I'm not really into that, I'm not into that, or mm-hmm. or I love this or love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's strange. I don't, yeah, I don't feel like I'm activated so much by the hatred of things, but it's more about being angry with what's going on or being angry when, you know, you see some painting and you're like, why is this important? It's not it's not even thought about as a painting. Like it's not engaging in that. It just becomes an image. And that, I get really angry about work like that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like in a contemporary context where I'm like, why should I care about this? This is how already been done and it's better when this person did it. Right. But no one wants to recognize that this person did it first. And then this is a replica or a facsimile of something important. That yeah. I hate that. Like I hate mediocre things that's what makes me angry except i love mediocre television so it's a really like conundrum (laughs) you know well Uh, maybe that's your since you're personally so invested in pouring so much emotion and yeah and so much of your heart into your work yeah that any painting particularly that doesn't that you feel like doesn't put the same amount of motive content into the work Mm -hmm. for you feels like it's sliding your your kind of vehicle for your expression in a way because yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of some course. people some people like the banal or like the kind of you know like yeah. I think it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Exactly, like a pop song versus yeah. you know a punk rock anthem. There's yeah. people listen to Sleater Kenny or or well, mm-hmm. it would be a good. I don't even know. You know, like Black Flag or like punk rock. You know, and just like yeah. that's what music should be about. Exactly. Kind of like energy and mm-hmm. flipping off the man and all that. And there's other people just like, I just want to sit down to the piano and play a beautiful song that doesn't yeah. mean anything. And it just makes you feel nice. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. you know, you could see the punk rock people saying like, well, that's bullshit. That's not valid. Or why yeah. would you, why should I care about that? And they don't have to, but there's something, yeah. there's something for everyone in a way. Exactly. And it's like, I'm not as hardcore as I am as I was, you know, and I'm not punk rock in any sense. And Mm -hmm. I'm not, um, and I don't fault anybody for their likes or dislikes. Like for me personally, it's, if I'm going to go see a painting, I really want to see a painting considered, you know, I Mm -hmm. want to see it like, Oh, well why paint? Like I always ask myself this and why does it have to be a painting? And it's a stupid question. It's a dumb question to ask or, um, but I do think about it because it's such a specific kind of material you know for me it's important to consider it as this kind of um sensual material um but you know i also like a lot of different stuff too i have a question for you in regard to that yeah because it sounds like you're the sort of physicality and the way that Mm -hmm. you're emoting when you're working means a lot to the work and you respond to work like that Mm -hmm. so i was just a dia beacon 
Mm-hmm. And um, one of my favorite artists is on Kawada. You know the guy who paints the dates. Okay, yes. Day. Oh, God. I hate that. I'm sorry. I just do. I mean, I I think I hate it as an object, but I, I, <laughs> I like it as a conceptual. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like I like the idea behind it. Because, again, one of my favorite artists is not a painter at all. It's, it's Felix Gonzalez Torres. Yeah. Like, I think his work is heartbreaking. Like, it does something to me where actually I could cry just See, you're getting hung it. up on the medium, though, because, because yeah. those are paintings. You feel like, well, this is bullshit because <laughs> it's not like the way I like to make paintings. But he's a conceptual artist, so I try All to... All artists are conceptual artists. Ah, uh, you know... Everyone has an idea. You have an idea when you're working. Your work is so <laughs> much about a feeling and thoughts and ideas. You know, I think we get yeah. hung up on the like terminology of conceptual art, but everyone's yeah. thinking about what they're doing. It yeah. it may not be illustrated thinking. Yes. Like Ankawada is, is definitely like an illustrated thought mm-hmm. of this idea of I'm recording that date. Yeah. And um it's it's like a Buddhist mm-hmm. kind of mantra of meditation on yeah. an idea over and over again to sort of create mm-hmm. like this clarity or this sort of simplistic beauty. It's a different yeah. sensibility, I think. It you know totally I mean? is. And it's it's kind of like you know, I want to say, oh, I'm just a stupid painter. I don't believe there are stupid, well, there are stupid painters, but it's like, I don't think you can be stupid anymore. So when you say like, yeah, you're a conceptual artist because you have an idea, it's like, yes, I do, but I have to transform it into something that is a fact. So it doesn't feel conceptual to me. It feels like, oh, I need to see the physicality. I need to see it all there. There's no guesswork. There's no pointing at something else. And I feel like a lot of the conceptual art that I do like, it's really roomy. It's really open to to a lot of other things where I think painting, again, is this moment in time and it's captured and it's all there for you. And yeah. it unfolds if you just look at it. Um, and that's why it's kind of dumb, but that's why I kind of love it too. Well, I've, I've said it probably mm-hmm. you know, endless times on the podcast, but one of the most meaningful shows growing up to me mm-hmm. was um, looking at... It was a Van Gogh show at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. And it was because of the way that the work progressed over time. You could really see Mm -hmm. these changes. And it's almost like you could see his emotions and the paintings change over time and manifest themselves physically. Mm -hmm. But if you only ever look at just one painting, which are knockouts, everyone's a knockout. And you could find a world in each painting. But you would negate this kind of like aura of like the movement across paintings. It's almost like the poetics of a life. Oh, yeah. Which is a conceptual idea that's removed from just like one addressed painting. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it's a and lifestyle. Some, and someone like yeah. Ankawada, I think, is mm-hmm. restraining it. He's like, or, mm-hmm. or he's kind of like distilling it down to that idea. That's what yeah. to me is so amazing. Yeah, I don't think each painting is like, well, that's a beautiful one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, it, it's, it's so different from what I like. Like the Edward Monk show at the Met Brewer, what happened last year, like not all of them stand up. But together you get a sense of who this person was or how they saw the world. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. And when you think of those dates, I mean, you really yeah, have to go mean, someplace else. But they can mean different things to different people. Exactly. One's Every, my brother's can. birthday. Yeah. So I see that and yeah. I'm like, oh, that means something yeah. totally different to me yeah. than it does. And in a way, it's almost like a selfless act to make mm-hmm. work like that that's not just feeding himself, but talking about the universe. I'm not trying to convert you on him, but I find it interesting. The differences between 
what you're describing about what really kind of hits as like yeah. what you love in painting mm-hmm. that isn't that far removed I think from from that in a way no it's just, but the way it's delivered it's almost like if you get a card someone handmade you for your birthday as opposed to like someone going to Rite Aid and getting something like it's your birthday yeah. celebrate they're very different experiences but the tone I mean are the this the sentiment is this, the sentiment is like the same thing, right? You know, it's just for me, I need some kind of tactile reassurance, you know, where it's not just, oh, this is something that is. Again, it has a stability, and yeah. I'm not about that in my even in my own work. Or, I really like other artists who do a lot of different things, and they don't have a signature. You know, it's like, yeah, sure, you can tell my paintings are done by me, and I you know I have a couple of stories I like to tell in very different ways mm-hmm. but I don't understand artists who work in the vein of just like I have a template I do this thing and I do it over and over and over again yeah um you know that scares me it scares me even though it might be something they need to do for me I can't imagine trying to make the same painting twice now are you talking about literally to, like who's a good example uh, sorry we're going down a rabbit hole here but I'm really interested um I think of someone, oh God, and like I, I really like their work, Marie Galance. Like she does, oh, the, yeah, yeah, she yeah. had the show at um, PS1, but they're so beautiful. But again, it's like the same house. Like there's always see, the same I thing. Think but I, I think they're beautiful. They're totally yeah. different. I think yeah. you see that as the same thing because it's a different style of work because yeah. some people might look at a Heidi painting and say and, it's the same or a thing. show and be like, oh, yeah. those are the same. It's just a figure in a room I or know. something. I know. But a your sad paintings woman. are so different. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's the style. Don't you think it's like you respond, which is totally legit, is that you respond yeah. to this kind of like this, not gothic, but yeah. like I think it's all the things that made you the painter mm-hmm. you are that you really respond to in other paintings. It's almost like, yeah. like let's put it this way. Yeah. There's a solo Beethoven recital mm-hmm. and then there's a Ramones concert. Mm-hmm. They're different. Oh, yeah. Someone might say the piano stuff. This <laughs> Ramones is like, I'm yeah. really responding to the the. the feeling and that you know what I mean like the kind of like dynamics and the the Mm -hmm. energy and the realness of it which is legit it's all legit it's just kind of like what you like well it's also the way the paint is handled you know like I think especially um for her work you know I they have different feelings uh, associated with each painting right but the way that the brush moves around or the um, the tactile nature of um the oil paint it's kind of handled the same way in each one. Yeah, that's it's true. It's not like she's doing like really washy or really. Um, there's a sameness to it. When Boy, you, you must see hate it. my work. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, because your work talks about ex- experience in place. From what I'm seeing right now, you yeah. know, it's uh, it's just different, and you know, I think. <laughs> I mean, it has to be different, right? Um, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I'm reading this book, Ninth Street Women, about, like, you yes, know, the yeah, abstract yeah. expressionist women. Mm-hmm. And I'm really enjoying it, um, not only because of the history surrounding it, but just the way that they would work. You know, it was, yeah. again, so emotive. And I feel like I'm very, definitely more controlled where I try to, you know, beat something into a story, into a structure, or into a composition. And I really just want to let things go like they did. So that's what I mean about trying different genres where I'm like, ooh, I'm going to think about abstract expressionism. Like yeah. I'm thinking of de Kooning's uh, women's series, which I, I just love. I love the violence in it. So it's like, ooh, how can I 
mimic that brushwork, but still have my own story that I'm telling. Right. Yeah. And I wonder, um, you know, some of these artists that kind of have, uh, again, this mode of working that does work for them and that they're really gifted at exploring. Like I, I wonder when, when that falls apart, when's the breaking point? When do you break away from something you know how to do really well? Right. And it would scare me if I found myself making the same kind of painting. And it maybe again, it looks like the same kind of painting. It's a it's sad woman in a room, okay. But how oh, I don't think they do. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> yeah, someone could. someone who's not really yeah. well, not even someone who's not like super paying attention mm-hmm. to the paintings, but also as an artist, you can you know this. You can make micro moves yeah. between paintings that, to us, seem I know. monumental. Yeah. But someone come come in and just be like, "This looks like the same show you've ever done." I've, had, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. But that's like, you know, we have all these friends that are like painters. We talk about this, and we're like, "Ooh, it felt different in my wrist." And right. you would never know no if one you looked would know. at the painting, right. which is that's why it's kind of dumb, right? Because for you, it could be a whole different experience. Um, but for me as a viewer, it could be the same kind of experience, yeah. but it's also like you watch a film by a director you like, and you just want more and more content from them. And each movie is telling a different story, but it's their tone. Right. And I think that's interesting to me, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a really dangerous thing to say because I'm thinking more of like contemporary artists who get submerged in, um, like right out of school or something. Yeah. And they have a style and they're expected to stay with this style because that's how they um, can keep painting. That's their lifestyle. That's yeah. their bread and butter. They don't have any other jobs. So it's like, oh, I must make this kind of work because this is what people are reacting to yeah. or praising or stuff like that. This and is what makes me stand out amidst yeah. all the other artists out there, you know. Yeah. So I have to have my thing. Your unquote. thing. And that that also scares me, you know, that you have your thing and how long can you ride that out before, you know, people take it, they soak it in and then they just kind of spit it out because it's like, Oh yeah, that's your thing. We're done with your thing now. Right. So it's like, what do you have left as an artist? Uh, well, here's the good news yeah. about all that. Yeah. I might be wrong, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you are the artist who's beating the dead horse mm-hmm. and you know, you're just doing your style because it's your style and you feel like you have to commit to that mm-hmm. and you're not making any changes then you have to live with that. Like everyone yeah. who's doing that has to go to that studio yeah. and beat that dead horse, which has got to mm. suck. So my yeah. theory is like, if you look at someone like Alex Katz, yeah, Alex Katz has been pretty much making Alex Katz paintings mm-hmm. for quite a while. Yeah. And he must love it. He must, he has to. And, but if he <laughs> yeah. doesn't, yeah. And he's doing really well and he's just making those paintings because, and he wants to make a big change at some point, but he's not mm-hmm. because he just does really well with his work and he doesn't mm-hmm. want to change the way he's working. Then he's got to live with that. So I, it's yeah. almost like you're, you're going to pay for it if you do that, or you're going to fade off into oblivion. You know what I mean? Like every yeah. artist has to, to sort of reap what they sow in that sense. But I think he's in love with what, I, I think he's too. in love with himself and his vision. So for him, it's like, did you read that um, New Yorker article? about him recently no i haven't it's almost like he's like i'm the best artist a living artist and it's like to say that to have that kind that kind of statement even in your vocabulary is first of all as a um as a viewer from far away 
it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That kind of confidence in what you do. Right. But I also feel like, oh, that's so dangerous to say. And maybe it's like the gender politics of it where it's like, you know, the as dude a, saying, like, the dude I'm saying the I'm the yeah. best living artist. Right. And it's. Yeah, that's not I'm, really a good look. Well, I've never heard a woman <laughs> say that. It's like people I really love, like, um, you know, I really love Amy Silman because I think she really twists things and she takes chances. And I do like Charlene Von Heil because I'm always surprised by her, her taste, you yeah. know, it's weird. Yeah. It's strange. Or like, um, the Talamandani show at 303. Oh, man, she's so good. It's so ugly to me. And it, that's why it's so dangerous yeah. that it excites me because right. I'm like, oh my God, how do you make this painting that's a black room with old men looking at a baby crawling on the floor. Like that blows my mind and her animations. Oh, her animations. Right. But it's like, it's almost like she doesn't give a shit, but her work is still beautiful and appealing, but mm-hmm. you're almost like drawn into it. And you're like, wait a minute. Now that I know what this is, I don't want to be implicated in it. And that is wonderful. Like I really get excited about these artists that seem to, I don't know, kind of shake off what good taste is or what is represented in the career, the trajectory of someone's career as a working artist, yeah. you know, like what we're well, talking you, about is careerism. Like this is like, you but know, I think that, but I would, will say this, mm-hmm. that that idea of good taste of, mm-hmm. of like what looks nice or whatever, yeah. that's deceptive because that's good taste in the sense of, you know, quote unquote, like design or like yeah. taste of what looks nice. There are so many Lucy goosey figurative painters who are yeah. beating a dead horse of someone else's style of oh, yeah. making going on right now. Yeah. The same thing happened with zombie formalism with like this. These oh yeah, I agree. Abstract painting. Yeah. So it, I don't know that it, that the, the taste is, is just the, the thing that is kind of like the X that, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it could be quote unquote bad painting. And you're just beating yeah. that dead horse or just copying someone's style or making something that's accepted because it looks like everyone else's loosey-goosey, like, figurative paintings these days. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's probably a lot of people in school now who are looking at Heidi's paintings oh, and God. saying, like, I love these and making... <laughs> oh, I've seen them. They show it to me on Instagram where yeah. I'm like, that's my painting. Right? <laughs> like, that's yeah. literally, like, a literal copy. But that's... But that's fine too. That's what I mean about breaking away from taste. I think of it as something breaking away that we've seen so many times before where mm-hmm. it's like it's on the cusp of like figuration or it's on the cusp of being an abstract moment. But it's bended in a way that I don't want to say new or original because it's not that. But it's kind of really smart painting where it's taking these things and it's kind of transforming it, them into the opposite of what they started out as. Yeah. Um, and there is a lot of shit figuration out there. I've seen it. You walk around like the Lower East Side and it's, you know, how many uh, female artists are painting women <laughs> in rooms being sad? It's like, yeah, we all kind of do it. And so it's like, well, how do you make it matter? How do you add rigor? How do you add intellect? How do you be accountable for what you're doing? Yeah. And I think nowadays it doesn't, you can't be stupid. You have to know about these things. You have to know about art history. You have to know... Um, about the lineage of paint and when the the painting you're making uh leaves all that out then i think that's really stupid painting yeah you know i guess my point is that it's not the look of the painting necessarily mm-hmm. the way that it's made that mm-hmm. necessitates that it's unthought of or whatever because yeah. there's probably just as many 
people beating a dead horse making kind of the same painting over and over again is there are people who are purposefully Mm -hmm. being different like every show like (laughs) this show is going to be all reflective paint on shaped canvases the next show is going to be a hole in the gallery the next show is going to be balloons you know it's like like, Ernst Fisher though like he's that kind of artist that's like yeah but he's really good at it no I know yeah he goes all the way but then the problem with Ernst Fisher yeah (laughs) <laughs> is that there's gonna he's gonna create well he's it's harder for him because it's not easy to make that work yeah that's why painting's dangerous is because mm-hmm. like a painter like you who's oh, yeah. good at what you do are gonna turn mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. there's gonna be a million people trying to make like your kind of paintings well yeah and that's fine because i'm making paintings that are like other paintings too yeah I but mean, your I, paintings are your paintings My they are but is, they're cliches too like I use well, a everyone, lot of cliches. everyone references yeah. everything. Like I yeah. was just looking at your work mm-hmm. now. I was thinking of like Manet and oh, I was I thinking, Manet, you know, yeah. I was thinking of very specific paintings Yeah, and you know, but that's with everyone, you know yeah. what I mean? Like people always say to me like, Oh, you must like, you know, Sheeler or Ed mm-hmm. Ruscher or yeah. Alex Katz or people like that. And I was like, yeah, but you know, I really like Urs Fisher. I really like Tom <laughs> yeah. Friedman or I really like a lot of things, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I guess like the iconography and the way that my stuff looks has mm-hmm. resonance. But I grew up watching a lot of Bugs Bunny, and I think a lot of that's in there too. So, oh yeah, you know, I I, I think it's it, my idea that I have mm-hmm. as far as whether it's legit or not, or whether I feel that feeling that you're talking yeah. about is is on an individual basis. It's mm-hmm. not based on the way it is. Yeah. Because there could be someone else who's making Ankawada type work that's like daily routine work that yes. I would just put me to sleep. But there's something about his that I think is really, there's something beautiful about the project of it more yes. so than just the individual pieces of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I can say the total opposite tomorrow, depending on my mood where it's like, oh yeah, I like, I like those date paintings yeah. <laughs> because of an experience I've had recently or, or something that kicks off. Like there are artists that I've grown out of and into you know like you leave behind your old idols which is totally which is great fine, right isn't yeah. it why are we so able to do that with music but we mm-hmm. have like with art it's like whoa that's weird yeah you know, because some days you want to listen to a poppy fun song and some oh, yeah. days you want to listen to like you know scandinavian death metal or it's like for me i'll listen to like stuff i when I was younger, like Weezer, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is right. kind of, but I'll put it on repeat because it takes me to a different headspace. And I think music does that um, more so than in looking at anything else. I agree. But, you know, again, I'm not really that into music. <laughs> you that, know, I do it as a, oh my God, that was a weird laugh. I, <laughs> <laughs> this is how uncomfortable I am talking about music because I really know nothing about it. Um, I listened to cheesy stuff that was on the radio, like, Nirvana or something. That's not cheesy. Nirvana's but I great. but I listen to it because again it takes me to a different headspace. It's not because I actually like that music. It's because of where I was when it first came out. Right. And I recognize it. And sometimes I need something recognizable in the studio because well, it's nostalgia too, right? Nostalgia, yeah, because it grounds me. Because I'm again I'm trying to make something that that doesn't exist in the world, but yeah. I'm trying to find a language for it or a physicality for it. And it's frustrating. I think a lot of times being an artist is just, it's mostly frustration at not being able to, you know, put something together that you're thinking about. Like if I'm thinking, Oh, I want to make a a painting that has landscape in it. For me, the idea of landscape is so abstract because it's part of nature and I don't deal with nature. I deal with artificial things because Mm -hmm. again, it's paint. 
I can't translate that. I don't even know how, you know? So I'll be like, I'll paint a tree, but it looks like a kid would draw a tree. It's very one dimensional. It doesn't look a part of nature at all, but that's the way I, um, I think about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I really would love to plan air paint, but I find it excruciating and, you know, it'd probably make me a better painter, but I think I stay away from things that, uh, and this is bad. Like I need to challenge myself, but that idea of painting from nature scares me because it's compounded with like, yeah, painting is artificial. So how do you put these two worlds together? You know, and that's where the frustration comes in of like, oh, how do I make this? How do I make that without it looking like anything I've ever seen before? (laughs) But if you work like that, I think it gets really hard. You put yourself into a box or in a corner or something. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, so making work is kind of like that's the struggle in a way? It's the struggle to kind of, again, find a language that you really don't know yet like you're building for yourself and so for me it's like okay how do I challenge myself it's like okay I like abstract expressionism how do I bring that into the story I want to tell yeah. like how does that fit in without being redundant and so a lot of the struggle it's like I don't draw I don't keep a notebook I actually funny enough like I hate the idea of drawing Um, just for me, the way I work, everything's on the canvas. So I'll start with the composition, I'll paint it in, and then it has to work itself out on the canvas itself, you know, and I'll make notes where I'm like, Oh, put a flower here and I'll write that down and then I'll go back and do it. But I think that's why the, the paintings have a lot of history to them because they're struggling to find a footing always, you know? And so the final reiteration is like, about that struggle you see it yeah, through the layers say that's what it's Ugh. about right yeah it's about yeah and it's about being stunted and it's about the lack of stability and it's about fighting for um fighting for the story or for the content now those yeah. are very like kind of personal mm-hmm. physical struggles and achievements <laughs> yeah. that you have within the painting when yeah. you show your work collectively mm-hmm. What do you want the viewers or or what is the sort of dynamic between your experience making the work and Mm. how you feel about it? And then that sharing with the public that work. It's interesting. The show I did um, at Jack Hanley, my last show, what was it? 2017. Um, Those paintings, I look back on them now and they were hard paintings. They're very wrought, you know, like they're hard for me to look at because I think I was not in the right headspace. You know, I had just started teaching for the first time. Um, I didn't really feel that connected to my gallery. And, you know, you're making work to show in a certain space. I don't know. They were very difficult. And there's a lot of stuff underneath that was trying to come out. And I think you see really stunted painting. And I'm not saying I don't like them. I just think, like... You know, they're like a journal entry for a very specific kind of working mode. And for me, that working mode was very um, all over the place. Like it took a long time to to really find what these paintings were about. So when people go in there, like I feel like they get a sense that there is so much underneath, so much conversation cut off, so much... Um, so much stuff that is trying to come out, but 
they can't get to. And yeah. I, that's the consensus I got from people seeing this work there. It's like, it's like kind of hard. It's like almost when you're talking to someone and they're about to cry, but they're holding it in and they're like, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> and, it's and, you like, know they're and you know, they're not, they're not, but then you don't know them well enough. So right. you're not going to push it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're kind of just going to walk like away. What's, with, what's under the surface there. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like those, those paintings, there's, there's a lot that was trying to come out that never did you know yeah and, and they feel they feel hard to me they feel hard to look at right whereas the first show i did at jack um you know i was in provincetown i was doing a residency i was there in the winter and there was nothing around so you just go to the studio and go home and read so i was a lot freer and it was just um and no one was looking at the work there was no studio visits it's kind of like here's my show and i put it up yeah and it was very unadulterated right and so I'm trying to get back to that where it's, again, spontaneous. So how do I do that? Oh, through abstract expressionism. Yeah, more drips. More drips. Yeah, more Bringing drips. Bring it back to more drips. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, I, I kind of have to find the freedom all over again. Yeah. Which you think being an artist, you're always free, and that's not the case at all. I mean, no. At least for me, I'm not. I'm never free. So. We're always constricted yeah. by something or another in different levels, you know? Yeah. Where there's like little things in a studio, whether big ideas or mm-hmm. or just, you know, practicality of like real world stuff. You yeah. Know, there's always those obstacles. Yeah, exactly. Or not always. I'm sure some people, maybe Alex Katz doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why he has time to think, I'm the best painter ever. Well, also when you get to that age, like aren't you kind of the best painter around because you've been doing it for so long? Like... I really like his landscape um, paintings. I don't like his Coca-Cola women that he's doing right now. I don't like the way his people are represented because they don't feel like people. They feel like there's just fashion. Yeah. But I really do like his landscapes because I feel located in them. Right. Like I feel like, ooh, I'm surrounded by this environment. It's almost like a Rothko, you know? Yeah, like yeah. You're enveloped, enveloped in an atmosphere. Yeah. Well, some of those large-scale ones, too, they literally envelop you. I know. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I admire people who work that long, you yeah, know, and I, I was, know. I was going to say it earlier. I was going to mention, um, but I think it was Hiroshige who said that like, you know, you've got to like, I didn't make a good piece of artwork until I was, or you can't make something yeah. good until you're like 90 or something crazy like that. But the idea yeah. that you just keep working and working and working. And I really love Japanese prints. Like yeah. They, and yeah, I love too. that they, they're just kind of like this daily look at life over a long stretch of time. There's a real yeah. kind of space and time and airiness in them that I really love. It's about but mastery then. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. it's impressive. Like you want to have mastery over your, not only your subject matter, but your materials. I go back to materials a lot. And it's like, for me, I always thought of a long career. Like that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's always the next thing that's going to be really good. Like even making work now, I'm like, okay, this is my headspace. I can only go as far as my experience is right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can try to make the, I'm trying to make these great, but then it's always the next thing I want to get to. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I'm 36 right now and there's still so much to learn. And I've told you this earlier, I've been painting since I was 15 and I think that's what enthralls me about painting because it's elusive. Right. Like the terms shift from uh, every series of paintings I do. Well, what's the criteria? And that's what I think about. Like there's always a new set of criteria to work towards. And that's why, you know, I'm just a painter because yeah. there's so much there to mine. Um, yeah. It's an endless well. 
it's an endless well and sometimes it gives back and sometimes it takes and sometimes it leaves you and you have to find a new way to make work you know yeah which is exciting um you know and i go back to this thing of like oh yeah you're a young artist you've just gotten out of school and you're showing in museums so how how do you have a career with that like sustain a long career and on those terms like i didn't i don't have to face that but <laughs> you know yeah it's no, something i, I think mean. about yeah yeah you it's know. it's it's so hard because you're trying to and i've always felt like mm-hmm. i maybe to a fault i i I'm always just looking at like that next thing to yeah. do and I don't have that good long-term vision. Yeah. I mean, but it, it's something that's definitely mm-hmm. worthy of thinking about. You know what I mean? I just, yeah. I, sometimes you get, you get so busy with just making things work and doing the work you're doing. And I know it's so hard to, to see past that sometimes. Well, it's like, I, I think of David Bowie a lot. He's someone as an artist, I really admire because God, I was just watching these old um, interviews with him uh, late night TV shows and they're like oh well you're working on something right now are you excited he's like no I just want to get through it so I can move to the next, next thing, thing. <laughs> but obviously he's engaged with what he's doing right and he's a person um, that collaborates a lot so you have these outside forces trying that you can work with and you can like elevate your own style yeah and as painters it's like what we're going to ask someone to come in and <laughs> help us paint it's right. like no you're alone in there so all that has to become an internal thing where you're pushing yourself. Yeah. Um, but I like that idea of what's next, even while you're doing something, because I think it forces you to put your work um, in the context of like ideas or an idealism, you know? Yeah. Um, well, hey, you can collaborate. I, I, I collaborated on a print, a lithograph years ago and it was an amazing experience and it was a lot of work and it was the most satisfying artistic endeavor I'd have ever done. And I think about that a lot when I do my work, but I don't know how else I would collaborate. Like I can't fathom what that would look like outside of printmaking. I know. <laughs> you know? It's so funny because artists were, artists are so kind of like my vision and yeah, yeah. that like giving some of that up, it seems so like you never see collaborative painting. I mean, yeah. one of my favorite um, sort of groups of work is a Warhol Basquiat collaborations oh, just because yeah. no one does that. Like, it's, no, no one does because it but it's really cool. It's like they just, yeah. they're like, it's a mixtape. We're going to both be on this together, you know, yeah. and just like back and forthing it. Well, sometimes when I'm working on a painting and I know it's going to be destroyed, I'll have someone come in and I haven't done this in a while, but it is helpful. I'll have someone come in and just mix up their own palette and just make marks on the canvas. Yeah. And, their colors are so different from my experience of color and their mark making is so different from mine that I find like, Ooh, this is something to react to. That's the root of all like awesomeness of collaboration. I think because I I was able to collaborate a lot because I do animation. So I work with other people Mm -hmm. and we're both with sound and with animating. Yeah. And, um, a lot of times it's a way in my work where I'm like, Oh, I never would have thought to do it like that. Yeah. And I really like, giving a little bit of that license up to someone else. Yeah. Now, granted, you try to collaborate with really good people. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But that's like Bowie, you know, like Bowie collaborated with amazing people. Like Prince, you know, all the, all those collaborations created some of the most amazing music, you know? Yeah. And I think, I don't know, to give up your freedom in that way or not your freedom to give up control. Yeah. Your Um, authorship, your authorship. I think it is important, you know? And I think sometimes though, 
especially after grad school, I'm like, I don't want anybody to come into my studio at all because you have so many voices, so much um, advice, which is all great, you know, what people say to you that you use for years to come. But it's also like at this point when I'm working on a show, I just need to live alone with the paintings because every time an outside person comes in, they shift what I'm seeing. And uh, on one hand, that's really great. But on the other hand, it's like I almost have to start all over again. Right. Um, so that's it's a constant like, oh, I have to tear this down and build this back up. So it's scary. <laughs> it's a really like scary a, I time. Had, I think I had a six year shutdown after graduate school. It's like, I'm oh, not, yeah, I don't need to talk, look, anything. Yeah. Just hermit in the studio working yeah. every day. And then I got, I think having a child changed out too because mm-hmm. it made me get out there more. Yeah. And then I started sort of refining the joy of, of like talking to other artists. And yeah. that's how this came about. And talking, mm-hmm. doing a podcast has been one of the most like fruitful, meaningful things I've ever done yeah. as an artist, which is weird to say because I really love what I do. And I, I, I know I'm an artist. That's what I do. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's just been such a, a, a different fulfilling experience. So. Yeah. And it's like certain people that come to the studio. Um, I have a, my good friend, Jen Packer, whose work I love mm-hmm. and I admire her and I respect her. Um, you know, and she'll come into the studio and we'll talk about painting for hours, but I have to tell her, I get so inspired that I'm like, you got to leave the studio now. <laughs> and work. she's like, you always kick me out after a half hour. And it's like, I just got to work, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good studio visit, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, being an artist, especially in New York, you have access to so many great artists and you yeah. can literally call up people and be like, what's your idea about this kind of painting? Um, and my partner, Tim Wilson, like he's a painter's painter, mm-hmm. you know? And so he'll come into the studio and most of the time I yell at him. I'm like, ah, how can you say that? But it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I can see how you can say that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, that, and that's a way the conversation is a collaboration. You it know, is. it does change your work and it does. It's ideas floating around. That's why yeah. school's great because I yeah. mean, it's a pain in the ass, but it's also yeah. great because there's just ideas floating around. And isn't that like if you're not open or interested in sharing ideas and other Mm -hmm. people's points of view, why are we making art? Because art is communicative. It's like you're talking to people visually. Well, that's what I don't understand when people say, I don't care what the viewer thinks. It's like, well, I do because I'm trying to convey a certain idea and mood. Yeah. And if they don't get that, then I'm lacking in my communication skills. It's like, yeah, I make work for myself, but I make work to share something with other people right or else why am i showing like why write five novels and never let anyone read them why i know talk in a room for 10 hours a day and never have anyone in that room it's a little Mm -hmm. weird like we as humans we we generally try to communicate to each other yeah and i'm i'm very antisocial most of the time but painting is a way for me to put myself in out in the world yeah where i i don't have to like i don't have to put myself i don't have to put my persona it's all in the work. Yeah. And so if the work is not conveying what I need to say, then that's a problem. Right. You know? And so I do think about the viewer. I think it's important. Um, Definitely. At least for me. I don't know. Some yeah. artists are like, fuck the viewer. <laughs> and I think that's kind of childish. In yeah. A way. Masturbatory. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> a little bit, you know? For lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, so what do you have coming up? What do you, so you have all that work. 
in all those, yeah. yeah, that you're working on now is for it's for Cone show. Gallery in LA, uh-huh. and so the show is opening in April, and it's called um, Burnout and Shredded Heaven, which is just like, you know, it's a weird title, but it is about these um, women in these spaces. They're either shopping or cleaning, all the things I hate to do, by the way, mm-hmm. um, or you know, like contemplating their futures but they're in a world that's kind of um, dissipating at the edges like the paintings don't fulfill the space their spaces necessarily so it's kind of like they're everything's falling apart and so that's why it's called burnout and shredded heaven and um, there's a show up at the museum the Nerman um, contemporary museum in Kansas City that's Mm -hmm. called pulse (laughs) basically it's you know Kathy Bradford's in there a couple of other artists um, which I'm excited about because it's my first museum show. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a big deal to me because obviously you want to see your work in a serious context, yeah. not in just someone's, um, someone's Instagram home. Feed. What? <laughs> Instagram feed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is crazy. That's how we navigate Isn't the it? art world. I know. I kind of like it because I like seeing things that inspire me. And if I see a good painting or someone's like traveling overseas and they're somewhere that I cannot be right. Um, you know, cause I teach and you know, you gotta yeah. work in the studio. It's exciting where you're like, Ooh, look at that painting. Right. Not that you can see the texture, but it's like, Oh, I see the idea of what they're trying to do. And that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then you can see it in person. And then you can see it in person in if you're curious. Point. Yeah. 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 Um, it comes around sooner or later with art fairs. And, yeah. You know, yeah. And I don't like going to art fairs and I know I'm with, um, Natalie Carr gallery now. Um, and the Cone Gallery in LA, but I don't go to art fairs. Like yeah. I think it's a necessary evil for galleries, obviously, but I think it's not a good place to care about art. And I think a lot of artists feel this way. Yeah, I mean, I like know? I like being able to see a lot of art that I might not normally see. I know. But other than that, it's like a shopping mall for art, basically. It it's is. Just, you're not seeing art shows. You're just seeing little pieces here. Like you're. It, yeah. You're just, you know, flooded with single pieces or double and sometimes people do solo booths but it doesn't feel like show you're not like actually seeing the work no you're not submerged habitat you know yeah and that's not to say like i haven't gone in the past and seen good work of course yeah but it's not how i want to view work um but again like if you're busy you're you know you're teaching full-time and you're in the studio it's hard to get out and see every show that you want to see that's going on in new york yeah you know just is um it's like a giant mixtape on a crappy cassette as opposed to like going and listening to a record of a full album see you're so into music and you're using all these terms and i'm like i'm trying to hold back (laughs) i know (laughs) that weezer blue album though is one of the best records oh yeah yeah it's like they could have stopped after that and i'm glad they didn't but they just could have stopped after. see i don't even know what they're doing now because i don't even follow they just did africa cover by the song uh, by the band asia you remember oh no is it bad no it's great oh okay they can't they're great See, I can't even go to concerts. I get really yeah, I annoyed know. by the people and by the, um, <laughs> well, and just like they are, they say they're going to start at 10 and then it's like 1230 at night. And it's like, you know what? It's my bedtime. Right. I have to go home. No, and I, I haven't you. heard the, I mean, you have a kid, you know, it's like, no, that's like nine o'clock is the cutoff time of like going out. I don't even go out anymore. So <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy. It's a whole new world. <laughs> it's a whole new world. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry I kept you so long here. No, thank you. This was a Thanks great conversation. Thanks for taking time out. Oh yeah, of course. Painting. All right. And uh, so you got those shows coming up, and people can find you on. In- you're on Instagram. Oh yeah, I'm on. I'm on Instagram. What's your name? 
It's just Heidi Hahn one, two, three, because it's so basic. But I have a lot of pictures of my dog, so at least you can enjoy that. At least I give, hopefully, some joy (laughs) to that environment. Well, it's a picture of a dog, and I always say, like, Instagram. People are like, I hate Instagram. I'm like, I hate it when it's people posting selfies, like sexy selfies. Like, I can't look at that stuff. But if it's food, travel, or dogs, I'm like, I'm all for that. For which it. is like the most basic stuff in, in the world. But, you know, that's the platform. It's frivolous. So yeah. I only want to see frivolous things or paintings, that is. Yeah. But no selfies. Yeah, no selfies. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, thanks for coming out. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com. I'll put some pictures up there from studio visits and gallery visits. And you can also donate to the podcast there if you want to support it that way. You can also leave a review and a rating on iTunes. Uh, You can check out the podcast on Stitcher. It's on Spotify, and a bunch of other podcast platforms. Many thanks to Lullatone for the music you're hearing now, the intro-outro music, and the introduction by Michael Lovett of Nazca Lines. He also plays with Metronomy, so check them out when they go on tour. Thanks to Heidi Hahn. Make sure you check out the shows she has coming up. We've got a lot of really great episodes coming up, so stay tuned. And thank you for all your support.